Welcome back to Yang Daily. I'll be your host, Alex Cheney, bringing you all the Yang news you need to live your life right. Sorry for the episode being late. I ended up digging into a lot of research and thread crafting for this one, so it took a while to finish. I think it was worth it, though. We got a great gerrymandering informational thread out of it. Anyway, we've got that, a good inflation clip, some national polls, progress on the Oregon rebate, and more to cover. Let's get with it. Quick shout out to our tier 3 patrons, Shay Meehan and Nathan Stankowski, as well as all our other patrons. You keep us all informed and engaged. If any of you out there want to join these advocates of humanity first and independent journalism, head on over to patreon.com yangdaily. It would only take a couple of bucks a month from each listener to keep this podcast and community going and growing into the future. Now on to the news. AOC actually did a great job of summarizing the price inflation we're seeing in some industries in an appearance she made on CNN recently. Basically, the points are, this is not widespread or long-term inflation. It's temporary inflation from supply disruption, meeting pent-up demand, particularly in the car market, resulting in increased shipping costs and prices recovering from a pandemic lull, just as we've previously discussed, but this is a good condensed form. She also pointed out that mistaking the cause will lead to incorrect solutions that will only make the issue worse, not better. Looking at you, states cutting UI. It's a great clip to share with progressives, probably not with conservatives, unfortunately, due to partisan tribalism. It would be like sending progressives a clip from Tucker Carlson, but you can still use the points. Data for Progress recently conducted a poll of 1,100 Americans on Biden's proposed supply chain disruption task force and found a resounding 63% support to 7% opposed in the general populace, with majority support among respondents from both parties. In perhaps the most in-sync Americans have ever been, they also polled the Department of Energy limiting their funding grants for green energy to only companies that manufacture in the U.S., and found 78%, 75%, and 76% support among Democrats, Independents, and Republicans, respectively. I think you could probably poll about the morality of kicking puppies and not find that level of solidarity. It certainly seems that people want more homegrown manufacturing to avoid this sort of vulnerability in the future. We're coming up fast on a very important gerrymander deadline. If Congress does not pass the For the People Act by August 16th, when states begin drawing new district lines, our country will become even less representative for the next decade. In 1997, over 160 of the total 435 national districts were competitive, meaning that they could swing to either party. As of 2018, that 160 has dropped by more than half from over 160 down to 72. A handy interactive map from 538 shows how redistricting could more than correct that drop and raise us from 72 to 242, if competition were the primary goal instead of gerrymandering for lack of competition. On the other hand, if either party completely got its way, the number of competitive districts could drop to as low as 21, or less than 10% of the ideal. America's political parties have been far more polarized over the past two to three decades. In 1994, 23% of Republicans and 17% of Democrats had more values in common with the other party. By 2017, those numbers were just 1% and 3%. The portion of U.S. Senate and House representatives that measure as extreme partisans per the DW nominate scores grew by about 13% from 1997 
2017. It's worth noting that gerrymandering isn't the only factor driving tribalism, even aside from profit incentives and media. The Senate is not directly affected by gerrymandering, nor are counties and states, which have also become far more polarized. According to analysis by 538, contributors David Wasserman and Allie Flynn, only 17% of the decline we've seen so far in competitive districts can be directly attributed to gerrymandering. One big factor is voters geographically self-sorting themselves. This can be clearly seen at the state level, which is not affected by gerrymandering. In 1996, 22 states had a difference of 10% or less between Republicans and Democrats in cumulative House votes. By 2016, that had dropped from 22 states to 16. Likewise, in presidential elections, the number of states whose vote share margin was within 10% of the national margin dropped from 27 in 1996 to 16 in 2016, a massive 40% decline in competition. What's worse is there's no clear way to mitigate this self-sorting, which has a feedback effect reinforcing itself through creation of echo chambers. That said, gerrymandering is still a big piece of the puzzle and the easiest one to solve. If we established national strictures on redistricting, as the For the People Act does, and prioritized competition, we could reduce the number of partisan districts by a whopping 47% and increase competitive districts by 236%. It's also worth considering the indirect effects of gerrymandering. Those districts make the general election a foregone conclusion meaning only the party primary matters. In that case, the more extreme candidates have the advantage as they need only appeal to their own party without worrying about losing swing voters in the general. That is a recipe for increasing extremism, which leads to more legislative gridlock and partisan rhetoric, both of which encourage still more tribalism, even in the districts that are not gerrymandered. Regardless of which party you identify with, we should all be able to agree that competition is as important in politics as it is in economics, and that voters should choose their politicians, not the other way around. That's the only way that people get actual representation in government. If you want to help, in addition to harassing your senator, Represent Us is organizing a Democracy Can't Wait week of action from August 2nd through 8th with all sorts of events. Check out the link below to see if there's one in your area. I also put a lot of time into making a thread out of all of this, and more. If you use Twitter, please share it around. They're designed to help everyone else save time when sharing information. Quick heads up to the UBI community, there is a new term floating around, minimum income guarantee. It sounds like UBI, but it's commonly used for means-tested programs with diminishing benefits akin to a negative income tax, and not necessarily universal. In addition to the non-universality of means-testing, that is, which is to say, it's not guaranteed everyone qualifies under a MIG. So one way or another, it will leave people out and contain a work disincentive, unlike UBI. You can find more details in the link below. Income Movement has added four people to their board of directors, Economic Security Project's Andy Stern, Steady's Adam Roseman, Inherent Goods' Chris Panazon, and Fund for Humanities' Giselle Huff. About time we got Giselle in there. Finally, the green light has been given to begin collecting signatures for the Oregon People's Rebate, which would deliver $750 a year to every Oregonian, funded by corporate taxes. This is your chance at a state-funded UBI. To help, follow the link to the rebate website or opr2022.org. And that'll do it for today's Yang Daily. Bookmark and share AOC's inflation clip, 
the gerrymandering thread, the Represent Us events, the supply chain and DOE funding polls, and the Oregon rebate signature gathering, flood Congress with calls, tweets, faxes, and letters using the ResistBot or Income Movement Easy Contacts below, if you need help, consult Humanity Forward, the Income Movement Aid Database, the Mission Asset Fund, or United Way, and don't forget to Yang Daily.